for another episode of First Strike. Before we start the show, I'm going to plug our sponsor, facefacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Lots of things to cover today when it comes to Magic's. Lots of exciting news. There's Standard from GP Memphis. There's We're going to get a special guest with us to talk modern, and there's a lot of excitement because Edgar, um, Derek, Tell me if I'm butchering his name. Is it Edgar Malgahays? Magalhays. Ma- Mag- Edgar Magalhays. I call him Magalhagel. It's funnier. Magal? It sounds like you're saying Magal. Yeah, you can call him that. I'm sure he'll <laughs> respond. But he'll be on the show three, three-time uh, GP Top 8, and he posted a link, a picture of uh, a J-Stack that, that he was playing at the showdown that he did well with. On Twitter, and and a lot of people started retweeting. Even Jerry's like, "Ship me, ship me all the information." So people are excited to be playing Jace in Modern. Uh, and then there's Challenger decks, and a lot of different things happened since Friday. I mean, I wanted, I wish I had time to do an emergency show with Andy because he was so psyched about the Challenger deck. So, so how's it going, Andy? Oh, it's good. I went wild on the internet. I went wild. <laughs> We've got Rob on here as well. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, the Open Plus, faceofacegames.com, Toronto Open Plus, the first Toronto Open Plus of the year. They were a huge hit last year. Uh, 5K in prizes. The finalists, not only do they get to take home a lot of store credit, but they also get invites to the next SCG Invitational where a lot of money um, is on the line to be won. And you also get $400 each. Uh, as a tra- travel stipend, so that you can that helps pay for for your flight or, or or however you choose to get there. So, a really exciting event. Of course, Toronto always lots of people who, who show up. I don't know if Derek or, or Rob are planning to go this Saturday, but it's huge huge event uh, happening this Saturday. Nope, Hamilton too far. <laughs> it, uh, I'm just not. Not playing in these types of things right now. <laughs> well, there's a venue venue change, um, so make sure you you follow up or, or check up the the Facebook page for the event. Uh, it's now at the Monte Casino Hotel and Event Center at uh, 3710 Chesswood uh, Drive. So make sure you get all that information from the Facebook group and and if you have a fifth. Facebook event page. And if you have any friends that were planning to go, please let them know that the, there is a venue change that got announced today. So for this Saturday, hope uh, everyone makes sure that they know that it's at a new place, new location, and it's an awesome tournament, the Open Plus. Okay, let's start with uh, the Challenger decks, Andy. Once uh, the deck lists were revealed on Friday, Lots of people were super excited. Everyone thought, hey, they were congratulating Gavin Verhey, who, who designed the deck list, saying, well, you, you got it right. You finally got it right. And, and Andy, you were stoked. You were, it was above your expectations. Like when we talked about the Challenger decks in the previous episodes, you were already somewhat enthusiastic. But bam, you, you didn't expect that. No, like uh, you don't always predict Watsi to just kind of slam the home run on a product like this, on like the, the little products. And wow, wow, was I impressed, honestly. Like uh, a, a good way to describe it is someone told me that they got sent the lists and they thought it was just like from the standard deck dump and that some of the decks were a little weird. And only until like you really go through it, you're like, oh, okay. Like they're like a five, 10 cards off of being like competitive tier one decks. 
but these decks are only going to be like $40 Canadian or $45 Canadian. And you're going to have like a tier 1.5 competitive deck that you're, you're going to be able to win like your local tournament. So the thing that people would say before about the products of this type are like, you could win your FNM. Like, yeah, you can win with these, but with these ones, it's just, you will win with these. These, these are very competitive right now and they're, not very expensive and they're all archetypes that see play in some amount in standard right now so i think like people aren't gonna all the cards aren't gonna be worth the 90 to 80 dollars that they are now when they come out but that just means even if you don't buy it you're getting that value you get to buy the cards for even cheaper everyone's getting the value (laughs) rob you you had you were skeptical but you said you didn't you weren't you wouldn't you weren't surprised, I would say. I don't. I wouldn't say you were wrong, but you didn't like the idea because you said a either the like the decks would suck or b it would crush the secondary market. So, so how does this make you feel right now? Yeah, so I think it's b. <laughs> this definitely crushes the secondary market. Like all of these rares are going to be worth nothing. I mean, they're 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 close there now, right? They're like definitely bulk. Like even cards that had opportunity to climb like Scrap Peach Grandeur or whatever, it's going to be like completely abused. Or if Heart of Kieran had any dreams of <laughs> going back to being a $40 mythic, like those are just, uh, you know, completely out of the question. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think that it's good in a way. Cause like, yeah, maybe it allows new players to get into standard, but I just, I feel that this won't help that problem, but I would love to be wrong there. Um, it's just like a lot of these people that are coming in that play casually, kind of like I, I just I found that they're just not interested in playing events. Like they're just they're buying commander decks and they're playing casually. And I feel like they need to make standard more interesting and not cheaper. Like I don't think that the dollar is the barrier to entry. It's just there's a lack of interest in the format. And I don't know. This definitely beats up on like value for drafting and like your cards just like randomly. You had one of these decks and hope to get rid of it at a reasonable point. Like, there's just no way that's going to happen. And if uh, I'm very curious to understand, like, what is the frequency that they plan to release these? Is it four decks per set? So, like, after Dominaria comes out, once they know the Pro Tour meta, are they going to release like the top four decks? And then what happens when we fall into like a Teamer Energy Standard again, where like there's actually just one deck? Like, what are they going to do if this <laughs> if the top four decks look exactly like the top four decks from the last release? I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. It really changes the dynamic around how Magic has been played competitively for a long time, and I hope that they made the right choice. Are you overall skeptical about this move? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I just, I mean, like, given how standard has been, like, they could have printed this Mardu deck almost in its entirety when... <laughs> like when when I taught me the GP like a year and a half ago or whatever it was, <laughs> so nice brag that was a really nice brag. <laughs> you gotta gotta stick it in there. Wow. <laughs> you know when, when I was when I was good and lucky, unlike yeah. unlike now, yeah. uh, where I'm neither good or lucky. <laughs> but I mean, like not a lot has changed in the deck. Like some of the the lower cost cards have moved around, but uh, you know stuff like like Heart of Kieran and and the lands are are still there. Um, I guess it's weird that they only put one Inspiring Vantage and one Concealed Courtyard 
but they put like you know like four scrap each ground or four toolcraft exemplar like having the lands is so much more important than uh the dorks i don't know yeah it's it's interesting mm. um these decks well, they're available friday april 6th and shortly after i mean the april like the dominaria is going to release april 26th so it might render basically renders a lot if not all of these decks useless or hits them a lot does that does that affect uh, your opinion of this uh, andy so i actually think that's sort of a smart time it's smart in some ways so like you're gonna have these decks you're gonna play them for like three to four weeks and then something new is gonna happen you're gonna look at the new cards and want to add to your deck potentially or now that you've entered into like the friday night magic scene where you're playing standard decks playing against a bunch of standard decks you might consider switching then now that you've kind of gotten a feel for like that maybe you got a little more competitive but I think releasing a bit before the release is a little awkward because they only have like four weeks and it's possible your deck becomes obsolete. But it's pretty unlikely. These decks have been kind of around through through it all, right? Most For the most part, it's going to be pretty hard to like make these unplayable. So I think it's going to incentivize people to be like, oh, let's get some new cards. So that's my hope for it, at least. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm wrong. Like They, they stay until quarter four of 2018 right a lot of these cards yes okay so did you know i I, some i heard some people were were scared that maybe like their deck is completely useless in in a few weeks but uh that's mistaken derek you you were concerned for something else you were actually concerned that uh in our private chats with andy that maybe it affects the draft scene i think i think you mentioned that um i was saying that uh if it was like me and Rob were talking about, like if it affects anything, it affects draft because uh, I know firsthand the store that I used to go to to play uh, draft and standard at. They had draft and standard on their Friday nights, like they had enough people for both. And I think one of the reasons people were drafting was the barrier to entry was cost and card availability, and most people just didn't like couldn't build their own decks, so it was cheaper for them to draft, and then they would like grab cards and build decks from that. I think uh, this just, if you have a bunch of people playing standard and the majority of people are playing draft at FNM, like there's not as many cards in the pool. There's not as many like people playing limited regularly. So, yeah. Might, might be a small concern in, uh, in certain areas. Uh, Andy, but your store, speaking of LGS, doing cool stuff, your store, I mean, I don't know if you thought it was cool. I was. Well, I, I thought it was insane. Yeah. So, so my my LGS. So they see this post and they see some people being a little worried, a little skeptical, and a lot of people super excited. And he said, "If you guys are excited now, don't wait. We'll sell you every single card in this deck right now for forty dollars. And if you're missing, like if you already have some of it and only need a few of the cards, we'll sell sell you every single card in the deck, thirty five percent off. And I think they they sold a." a a lot of Chandra's that day. <laughs> so that was kind of neat. I think uh, if if the player base appreciated that, that that's really sweet. Um, so overall, like, I, I want to go back to you, Rob. Like, you just think it won't, just so I don't misinterpret like your final uh, conclusion about this. Like, you just don't think this will do anything. Yeah, like I, I I'm not sure that the problem with people not playing standard. Is because standard's too expensive. Like this solves the problem of standard is too expensive. I can't play standard because it, I, I I just can't afford to get into the format. 
Like, I just don't think that's the barrier to entry. I think the barrier to entry was standard sucks, okay. and I can just play other formats that are more fun, uh, okay. which is either limited, modern, or EDH, right? Depending on like what your flavor is. And if you're if you were invested for a long time, like we were, then everyone was just playing modern. If you're a new player, you're playing limited, and if you're a casual player, you're playing EDH. So like it just doesn't like standard doesn't really have a home <laughs> in a sense. But Watsi wants it to have a home because that's how they sell new packs. But then they release a product like this, which is like kind of I don't know, counterproductive with wanting people to crack boosters. Like why would you ever want to crack a booster if two months from now they're just gonna like release all the good cards in four decks and you can pick up the whole lot of them for 120 American? It just it's just it's just weird. So I feel like Cracking boosters. Maybe cracking boosters is a thing of the past, which means maybe draft is like not going to be as uh, as well sought out or popular maybe um, going forward. It, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, it's just weird. I feel like this is um, like they have a hammer and they need they have a screw and they're just <laughs> they're like ah we don't we'll not use the screwdriver. Let's just beat the screw into the, <laughs> the board. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I think those are good points. It'll, it'll be interesting to see maybe they do this yearly. I think, again, when we talked about this, me, you, uh, Andy, and Medina came in, uh, we talked about how there weren't, uh, we were comparing it to dual decks at the time, how there weren't these cool um, options for, for a new player to just jump into competitive constructed. So maybe we're going to see like a percentage of players where that would be interested in the format if they're able to quickly shortcut their way in without having to assemble i mean there might be there might be a percent of players who will jump in and we might see an increase of standard players once these release so i can't wait to see that in about i guess just over a month we're gonna see if there's one more note before we move forward like the red deck has one hazard one chandra no rekindling phoenix right so even that deck while like yes any cheap red deck may be able to win tournaments at times like if you want to take this to a gp like it is missing a lot of the value that that this deck requires to really like be tier one and keep up to date with what the rest of the metagame is doing. Does that? So, yeah, uh, I don't know. This is, this, they're, they're good event decks, but like they've already tried event decks and they were a failure. So I don't know why this is going to be different. Derek, last word. Yeah, does it have glory glory bringers in it? Uno, Uno bringer. One, one glory bringer. Oh, I don't, I don't think they're expensive though. So. Pretty sure uh, anyone could pick up the full playset uh, after after buying this deck. Um, let's go. Let's go straight to uh, GP Memphis. Uh, it was won by Tyler Schroeder uh, with Red Green Aggro or Red Green Monsters. Uh, I was uh, beating Aaron Barich with Sultai Constrictor. Of course, I had to tweet at Derek as, after uh, last week's complete destruction, where he got destroyed by every other castmate about. Uh, the snake being a viable option in standard. So Derek, are, are you excited? Are you excited for snakes to be back on top of the, of the standard metagame? Yeah. I mean, like I don't get the scoreboard much, but like scoreboard. So uh, I just think like this really shows that uh, what we were talking about last week as standard as a shifting metagame really cements that um, there's no other snake in top 32, but uh, there's, like blue black's not as dominant. Oh, sorry, Derek. As... I, I I was reading the chat. Can you repeat that? I I, I missed that. Uh, There's no. You said how many snakes? Top thirty-two. None. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's what I thought. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I like how many Mardu decks were there? One in top eight. 
Hey, who said to play Mardu last week? Look, listen, all I'm saying is like that like just because there's one snake deck doesn't mean that there's like it's not a bad deck. It still came second. I like I don't know, blue black didn't win. That's all I'm saying. You know? Uh but yeah, I don't know. The format still seems pretty open. Like it's like one third blue black, one third red decks, one third mid range decks, and then you have uh random other decks to fill the the rest of it. But yeah, I'm definitely happy that like Constrictor came out to play because I I told everybody the deck was good. Nobody believed me. Oh. <laughs> good Wrong. good thing one guy ran hot and proved you right. There's also yeah, a Mario deck right. in the top eight. I Somebody totally has to it. run hot. I never run hot. Like I've never ran hot in my life. <laughs> uh, Aaron Barrett had been streaming this deck for uh, quite a while when I look at his archives, I think. And Derek, was there anything interesting about this particular list? He went Soul Tie instead of Green Black, played three copies of Hadana's Climb. Was that on your radar? Does that seem spicy to you? Yeah, some, uh, this is a, a deck list by Jadine Clump Parents, I believe. Um, she posted it to Star City Games a couple weeks ago. Um, somebody sent me it when I was talking about Snake uh, when I, a little bit after she posted it, and I thought it was interesting. I actually uh, tried it, and I actually thought this version of the deck was awful. Um, <laughs> and I just like cut H- uh, Hadana's Climb and put in Scarab God, and I think my win percentage probably went up 15%. But uh, <laughs> I played it today, and there was turns where I just played Hadana's Climb, and then I played uh, a Bristling Hydra, and the game was over. So I definitely think that's what happened this weekend uh, for Aaron. But I can't, I can't speak for the deck going forward. Okay. Um, but, but you don't think, then it's not, like, a lot of the criticism for, for Constrictor is that, oh, you always have, like, if it's not on turn two, there's a huge difference. And now, like, you really want that Hadana's Climb turn three, and... I think uh, the biggest mistake that people don't understand is the best card in the deck is not Winding Constrictor. It's Glint Sleeve Siphoner. Um, And the reason I was winning mostly with Snake is when you have a high concentration of threats in your hand and a Blossoming Defense. And so most most decks uh, don't actually have enough removal to beat you down the line if you go uh, need to kill 2-drop on turn 2, need to kill on turn 3, need to kill on turn 4. And this, the deck that came second this weekend is very much that, where it just enforces every single card in your deck to make it a have to kill, not to mention every card in the deck, basically you already have to kill. Um, you do kind of have to run hot, and if you flood out, you're in much worse shape because you have a unplayable enchantment on three, but uh, I'm, I'm sure like people just weren't ready for the Hadonta's Climb. So what makes you want or not want to try this more in the future? Um. I think if people are ready for lower to the ground mid range creature decks, they're just going to start playing more fumigate and uh, what's settle the wreckage. And the tokens deck is already the best low to the ground creature deck, and they're already playing those cards. So if you see an uptick in non token deck, you'll see uh, an uptick. You'll like more people will play tokens because it plays those two cards. Same with white decks in general. Um, and then, like, you, you might see more control decks just play for Fatal Push, for Moments Craving, something, whatever. Bantu's Last Reckoning in the board. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, but, Rob, despite this performance, because it's one copy, you don't... doesn't really affect 
what you think about the format? No, I mean like like if you just look through the top eight, you're like, oh what what decks are still good <laughs> in standard, right? And it's like, okay, Grixis Energy is is obviously back. That deck was kind of fallen out of favor. It put three copies into the top eight and then like a bunch more into the top thirty two. I think it was like six or seven copies total. Blue black is obviously very popular. It's popular with a lot of good players, which also definitely like kinda of helps it out, right? Um there's a bunch of other random stuff. So like Mono Red's obviously very good and, and like the red green aggro deck did well uh, this weekend, or just like any red green monsters or red green X monsters variant. I think that if you're what you're trying to do is the salt eye constrictor plan, where you want to play a bunch of creatures that like aren't really good at blocking and have this combo finish. I feel like just playing the red green aggro deck is better. Like the deck's just better at attacking. You have a bunch of haste threats. Your threats are more resilient. Uh, your removal is cheaper and more flexible. I just. I don't know. <laughs> like their decks are doing the same thing, right? They're trying to put like a threat you need to remove every turn uh, onto the board, and then more efficiently remove your opponent's threats when they matter. I just think that the red green aggro deck is is doing a better job of that. Although both decks are pretty bad to wraths, although the red green aggro deck is a little bit better since it has eight uh, eight Kenras and four phoenixes. I think, yeah, four phoenixes. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that it won <laughs> if, if Saltite was in the end. But I do think that the Saltite deck would be good against a bunch of the Grixis Energy decks. That it probably I didn't watch all of the top eight, but I assume he probably faced it a few times, at least once. And I'm not sure if Aaron played uh, Andrew Tenjum in the first round. That would be interesting. No, uh, well, Andrew Tenjum, a uh, friend of mine, ended up top eighting, but his first match in the top eight was the Grixis Energy Mirror. So... Okay, so he played Michael or Matt or something like that. Okay, probably probably on the on the, on the other side, um, but may 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 have still had to play one of them. But Andrew, yeah, there's there's one in probably. third and fourth. Like both third and fourth place decks are Grixis Energy. So what what where have you been jamming, Rob? Uh, I got a little bored this weekend. <laughs> uh, I I was like going I don't know fifty fifty against blue black with mono red. So um, I built a green black deck that was kind of focused on just jamming. Uh, green black, Spanish variant. Yeah, green black. What? Green black? What? It's not playing any snacks though. I want. <laughs> yeah, I don't so want. So I, I really, I really just wanted to slam Carnage Tyrant uh, just to, to teach those those guys a lesson, and uh, it was good. It was really good against blue black. I won like the majority of my matches, but it was very <laughs> bad against the other mid range decks. Um, <laughs> And I was not happy with that, so I thought I would grind a little harder, and I built a blue-black gift deck that is looking promising, but needs like another round of revision before it's ready for prime time. It has like a very weak mono red matchup, but like a very good mid-range and, and blue-black matchup. So, but I just I don't think that you can afford to be floating around in the queues where you're just like a buy against mono red. That's really not where you want to be, I... especially on online. Derek, I felt like me and Derek reacted the same. I won the majority of my matches, but you know, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> well, you don't you don't play against blue black like five times a league, right? I played against it like two to three, and then I play against like Sam Black's uh, like mono white whatever, just like kill you as, as fast as I can. Deck, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not set up. I'm not set up to deal with this nonsense. <laughs> Like uh, they just they just crush me because I like I'm not playing walking Melissa and a bunch of stuff in the green black deck right so it, when they go wide it, you're 
you're very much under the gun. You, you can't really catch up. Have you uh, have you tried putting built to last in it? <laughs> in my green black deck, and no, I didn't. It's I was playing lost main defense though. It's basically oh, the same card. It, it it's better. It's better. I, I I told you that last week. It can be better. Yeah. No, it is better. It's, it's not better against fumigate, but it's yeah. always better. <laughs> Uh, Rob, last week with Brian on, he had, when I brought out, hey, do you think God Pharaoh's game is playable? He's like, oh, there's just too many abrays in the format. And you, you mentioned Mono Red being uh, a troublesome matchup. Like, is that, do you see that changing? Do you see it like uh, the metagame like potentially shifting to a point where you can be sneaky and play this and, and, and win a tournament? So I have some other spice in the deck that, that makes me a lot less reliant on getting the God Pharaoh's gift out, although it is a nice. Uh, primary path to victory. Um, but yeah, Braid is... I wouldn't say it's like going down in popularity. I mean, it's less prevalent online just because of how popular Blue-Black was. Uh, and I assume that like Green-Black will be reasonably popular this week uh, as well as Red-Green Aggro. So I guess the Red-Green Aggro will probably balance out the missing of Braids from people like playing less mono-red and, and stuff like that. I, I'm not sure how many... Rixus energy is running though, like one in one in the main, one in the board, I think, usually. So it's not it's not a huge concern. Derek's saying two and one. Yeah, it's it's two in the main, one in the board. In in the version that I'm playing right now, at least. So I think I think it was Derek's the version is probably the, the version you want to play. He's a master at Crixus Energy. Uh the the third? <laughs> The deck that Both of the third. people that top eight are, are, all, are playing one and one. I think oh, then I'm, I'm only playing one and one. I thought it was two and one. Derek doesn't even know his own list. Jesus, listen, this is listen. savage. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Braid's not good against Scarab God. And it's not really good against Glorybringer and Rekindling Phoenix. So, I mean, the fact that they have these answers that are a little bit selective uh, in what threats they target and not just great against everything, uh, I think is good. They have the removal suite in a pretty reasonable spot in standard right now because that will force the meta to move as people need to kind of adapt new strategies to to uh, to combat what's going on as people change the removal package and then that you know the threats will change which will change kind of the deck list so I, I think it's we're, we're in good rotation I, I feel like this standard format is going to be pretty sweet for the whole you know the whole duration okay um Andy, we're going to get to you. you you've been, uh, you posted uh, a blue blacklist in the First Strike Nation. I, I talked to, I, I was cheering for, for Andrew Tenjum again uh, to make top eight of GP Memphis. He had to beat John Rolfe in the, in the last round uh, to make it. And, and John was playing mono red. He had a very good start. And Reduke, who was commentating with, with Marshall, felt like Andrew. And I'm talking to Tenjum after, he, he admitted that he like basically ripped. The, the right spell each time because um, John Rolf presented him with multiple, either Phoenix or uh, Hazaret, and he had three Raska's Contempt to be able to steal game one, and it just like seemed like if Mono Red had a decent start that maybe it wasn't that good of a matchup, but, but uh, Tenjim had mentioned that he had faced that matchup multiple times, felt it was favorable, felt very comfortable with it, so I just wanted you to chime in on what why you would play Grixis Energy over Blue Black? Well, so Grixis Energy is, is a bit more proactive. And World of Virtuoso is not what it used to be. And Glintsleaf Siphoner isn't the best in this deck in Grixis Energy. But it's still a, like a very good card advantage card. It puts pressure on people. It draws you cards. And then, uh, like, 
Whirler's just this weird card where it's just like pretty good against control, fine against aggro, it'll keep you alive sometimes. And then the rest of the deck, uh, the way they've built it is like a lot of tempo elements and then kind of like get them to mess around with your creatures and play a Chandra and let it take over a game. So the reason you want to play these decks is to like get people off balance and then have some more powerful cards than like the aggro decks that get people off balance. That's just, they just sit in the middle. It's, it's mid range. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you, you love. Do you love Whirler against Mono Red? Yeah, yeah, it's obviously PNLR with one extra toughness is good against Mono Red. And sometimes it's even better than that. And you can't ask for more out of a card, to be honest, against, against Mono Red as a three drop. And have, have you felt like Blue Black with, with Moment of Craving? How, like, how much better or worse is that matchup as a Blue Black player? So I haven't played uh, Grixis Energy since like the very start of uh, of this format since the bannings, but uh, I felt like Blue Black just, just in my experience I've only played against it like I think eight times on Moto is what I have, and I've just been beating it every single time by just <laughs> just taking some hits off of like some of the early creatures. They don't play that many good early creatures anymore. It feels like, and then in the sideboard, Contraband Kingpin is so much better than gifted aetherborn it's incredible like the fact that you can't lightning strike it or abrade it and move on is completely game changing even though it's just a one four the fact that you can play it they have to attack get blocked then kill it is such a tempo loss for red that that's what can push you ahead with your what clearly way better cards hmm well, tell, tell us more about your list that, that you're currently jamming and some of the maybe important card choices that, that you had to make to, to put it to where it is right now. Um, so the thing that's different about my list is I was playing too consigned to Oblivion. Basically, I, didn't, I, don't, I haven't had a good experiences with the card Commit to Memory, but consigned to Oblivion felt like a similar catch-all that I can like bounce the thing later in the game and then re-counter it later, or I could bounce it and then mind-rot it out of their hand. And in the control matchup, I could just, like, discard it to hand size, which happens all the time, and then just mind rot them later. Or I could bounce, like, my Gear Hulk after they try and kill it, or bounce my Scarab God and then mind rot them. And especially against, like, the red-green monsters deck, like, bouncing something and then mind rotting them is so important because they, they play, like, land spell, land spell, land spell. And they just get down to a spot where, like, you know their two cards in hand are Glorybringer and Glorybringer, or, like, Glorybringer and another really good good uh haymaker so it's been pretty good in those spots but i've been uh i tried commit to memory today and i've been i've been actually impressed so i could just be wrong and they're both good cards but consigned to oblivion looks way better in your opening hand because being able to bounce a two drop and then get your counters going because you play some like quite a few of them is pretty important in a lot of matchups but i think Commit might be better. I, I might try a 1-1 split. I could be convinced uh, I'm not, like, heavy set in, in one or the other. But I do like Consigned to Oblivion. It may just be, like, a pet card thing. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, has the results of this tournament affected what you would bring in an upcoming important standard event? Uh, not really. I would still run three search for Ascantas, which not everyone is doing, and I might go up to four field yes. ruin. Damn it! <laughs> I was not, not four search for Ascantas, <laughs> but uh, I might go up to four field of ruin. So, like one of the most important things you can do 
in the mirrors just have a lot of search for Ascantos because they're going to keep getting blown up. And then once you have one and the other person doesn't, it's just it's so demoralizing to watch them draw a spell, extra spell every turn of the game. So I like three. And what got me on that was actually Brian Gottlieb posted his list, list in the nation. And I was like, OK, I like three because it's to me, it's been the best card in the deck, one of the best cards in the deck for sure the whole time. So I think it is right to jam three. And even though you get one extra one stuck in your hand all the time, it's just important. Four? No, not today, <laughs> not tomorrow. <laughs> um, I, I've been hoping for four ever since uh, me and you, me, you, Alex Bianchi, talked about the car on the show. Uh, so you, you'd still be playing blue-black, maybe with those uh, some adjustments. Uh, Derek, what, what would you play, just to let our listeners know? Um, I think it's either, well... <laughs> It really depends on the metagame. So I think if you're expecting a lot of snake, you should play uh, probably tokens. And if you're expecting a lot of tokens, I would play probably red. Maybe not. Um, yeah, probably red. And then like if you're expecting a lot of blue black, I would play snake. And I'm gonna play Grixis probably because that's the deck that I feel like I have the best chance to win with right now. I don't know. Champion of Wits has been doing real well for me. Uh, so that's where I'm at. Oh yeah, that's something we uh, I forgot to mention. Uh, Rob, uh, we we had been playing Champion Wits for a while in our in our Soul Tie lists. It's not seeing play in some of these stock control lists. Uh, what's your take on that? Should should people be playing it more? Champion of Wits in general. I mean, the card is very powerful. Given that, like uh, Standard, kind of has a bunch of decks that attack from different angles, depending on. I mean, you need to kind of know your meta, right? But you can face, like, blue-white approach, blue-black control, like Scare of God, blue-black mid-range decks, mono-red. You have, like, Killing Phoenix aggro decks, whether the red-green, mono-red, or, or other versions like that. Uh, there's, like, blue-white Drakehaven decks and tokens. <laughs> um, so it's, as a control deck, it's very hard to tailor your removal suite in a way that is definitely good against everyone. And then you also have, like, these random... Hour of Promise, like Abzan approach decks with weird stuff going on and weird options in their sideboards. Um, so yeah, I just, I mean, you're as a control deck, you plan to get to seven mana anyways. So being able to just like play a dork that filters out cards you you like are dead or you don't need at that point that later becomes like a a real threat with a draw tube attached um, and a two card filter is I don't know. It seems pretty useful. So uh, I've I've always liked Champion of Wits. We were. Playing more and more and more of them in in Grixis Energy uh, pre banning uh, as the format kind of evolved and we were tuning that deck. It doesn't have a home in your Godfarrel deck. Yeah, I'm playing four. <laughs> Andy, could you see like it in like penetrating and and getting into your deck? No, I, it's just you don't want to. It's sort of card disadvantage because in us in this in in control, it's card disadvantage. Like you play it. You draw two, you discard two, but like the two one isn't as valuable to you. And you'd rather just play like cards that are split cycle cards, like the draw twos that can cycle or like more sensors. If you're really looking for a way to like 100% hit your land drops or play more cycle lands or something so that you make sure you hit more spells. But I think the way to get the best mixture is not through Champion of Wits for control. Okay. So it's better like, like, like you said, something like a soul tie where you're also attacking. Uh, with other creatures, and then the 2-1 body is a lot more useful. All right, uh, I'm going to let 
Derek introduced our special guest tonight. Derek, take it away. Uh, welcome, everyone. Is Edgar Magalhaes, the maybe third best player in Southern Ontario. He's definitely one of the best looking and can grow a mean mustache. If you want to get some good Edgar photos, I can send you the folder I have on my computer. I probably have like 300 photos. They are wonderful. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Edgar. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Derek, how's it going, Edgar? Going good. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. You're someone that who has... <laughs> oh, my God. The chat is, is being pretty vicious. Oh, God, he's so ugly. <laughs> um, you're someone that... that is mentioned a lot as uh, as someone obviously that that follows comp- Canadian competitive magic, and you've been putting up these finishes. It's not like that they all came recently, but you top eight in 2013, then had two top eights in 2015. So it's it's been a while now. Yeah, I had I had a I had a pretty bad couple years, but uh, I haven't actually been gone. I guess been losing a lot more. I guess I got I've been getting less lucky, but. Um, been playing a lot more recently, so hoping to get back on the big stage. Just qualify for an R Pro Tour for the first time in a while for like two years. That wasn't good. Okay, there, <laughs> Derek. Um, it's um, kind of cool to, to see you do well. I mean, I, I've heard your like I said, hear your name mentioned a lot, whether it's via articles or, or by people that I know. And then there's like Cody. Uh, Gravel that we had last time said like you are the ultimate gentleman to play against and he al- already knew your reputation of being a good player and uh, so did you ramp up like when you made your first top 8 was that when you were at the top of your game or you got lucky and got a few lucky bounces and, and got in there or where were you at in your first top 8 uh, I was really bad <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got really lucky in my first top 8 it was a, it was a Theros Limited Grand Prix and it was actually my first Grand Prix day two. And uh, I was just excited to day two. That was actually my goal going into the tournament. And I had been watching some, uh, some GFAB streams. And he had been, like, forcing an archetype. And I just forced that archetype in 6-0 day two drafts and, and got there. So that, that's how the first one happened. But uh, I, I didn't do anything for, like, another year after that because I definitely was not, not good enough. Okay. Uh, how would you say you've you've gotten better? Is it just more experience over time, or getting to know more and more better players and playing against higher higher competition? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely leveled up when I moved to Waterloo for university because uh, the players there were a lot better than I was, and they taught me a lot. And after I got a couple top eights in 2015, I started talking to the Toronto guys more, uh, like Fournier and Omar and all of them, and like. They really helped me step up my game as well, and I felt like I got a lot better after that. Even though my results started dwindling, I I could tell I was getting better. Okay, so you recently did well at the F2F Toronto 1K Showdown um, with Bug, and you had tweeted out a picture of it, and people got really excited because hey, it's got four Jason Mind sculptors in it, and uh, you know I, I talked to the other guys that. Uh, Someone that, that helps me edit and post articles on Matter Prof Keep Capstick is an excellent deck builder. This might be an underground secret. Uh, yeah, I think Keith is probably one of the smartest guys in Toronto in terms of deck building. He's, he always hits the nail on the head when it comes to like 
metagaming and like really tuning those like specific slots that people need to like that people don't realize have a, such a huge impact. And when I started talking to him, it was like a week ago or something about modern. Uh, we both had like a similar idea of where we wanted to be in terms of a J stack, and like he just he just sketched out a list, and it just looked great, and we just ran with it. All right. I mean, this deck, this deck is so got a lot going on. So Soul Tie. Um, we're gonna we're gonna put the link in the show notes. Um, just a quick. I'll just read quickly this. Highlight some of the main deck: four Fatal Push, four Inquisition of Kozilek, four Thoughtseize, one Collective Brutality, four Dark Confidant, two Scavenging Goose, four Goyfs, two Abrupt Decays, four Liliana, one uh, Liliana of the Veil, one Liliana of the Last Hope, uh, two Maelstrom Pulse, and four Jace the Mind Sculptor. Black Green Jace. Black Green Jace. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the only double blue card in the main deck. Derek, have you seen this list? Yeah, I saw it. Uh, I think Edgar tweeted about it, uh, and I think Keith might have showed it to me earlier. I was trying to get a deck list for this Team Modern thing I played on the weekend, and Keith also shipped me a Jun deck. But, yeah. What do you think about it? Um, I think Jace is busted, and it looks to me like uh, if you can play Jace and Lilion in the same deck, you're doing a lot of things right. And, uh, like, Black obviously has the best removal in Fatal Push. And are you, pl- are you playing Thoughtseize, Edgar? Yeah, yeah, he's playing. Yeah, okay. yeah the full eight discard. Oh, okay. So, like, what, what else is better than that? Like, you look at their hand, you play a threat on turn two or turn three, and then you play a Jace, and the game's probably just over against... Like, what do you lose to? Burn? Like, the top of your opponent's library? Like, I don't, I don't know what you lose to. Maybe, maybe you lose to Amulet? I don't know. Probably not, right? Nothing beats Probably. Amulet. Nothing beats Amulet? Oh, okay. I mean, it's 50-50, right? You either win or you lose. Yeah, yeah I, I think good. it's pretty similar to the other black-green decks in terms of good and bad matchups, but I think Jace just like, adds a whole new element for the fair matchups where you really get this huge edge that you didn't otherwise have. Andy, have you, have you had a chance to, to dabble much in modern lately? Uh, yeah, so... I've. I tried all, like a lot of different kind of decks, but uh, the one I've liked the most is I've been playing Teamer Scapeshift with Jace, and I think that's a it's a pretty interesting home for Jace because you really want an alternate win condition for the games where you get kind of locked out with uh, being able to kill with your mountains because you only play like eleven, ten to twelve depending on your deck list, and you can even shuffle them back in. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so that that's the home I've been trying and like. Uh, it's been really good against the mid-range decks, and I think Jace is just a really good card in that deck because it doesn't need to be your main game plan, but it's going to help facilitate you uh, to kill them. So that's the best Jace deck and the current deck uh, I've been working on. Mm. No, no Bloodbraid for you? No Bloodbraid, Elf. Just uh, some good old scape shift with Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> Rob, have you been messing around with Modern or, or Jace? Modern is dead to me, Car. <laughs> hey, go look at this Edgar list. It's pretty. It's or keep Caspic Capsic list. It looks pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I think the the list makes sense. Like, um, it, it definitely is probably one of the decks that allows you to resolve a clean Jace most often, which is probably a strong thing to be doing um, in a in a Jace deck. Um, but I think it's good that this. This deck exists like green black mid range has kind of had a little bit of a rough go in terms of like how you would traditionally think about 
those decks. So it's, it, I'm happy to see it back. I'm also happy to see people join in Blood Braid Elves. Uh, format's good. Not broken. Not surprising. It's broken. The Jace deck is broken. Jace is busted. It's going to get banned. Yeah. <laughs> Edgar, do you actually feel that way? I mean, in, in, before the show, you mentioned you're on the same team as Derek when it comes to Jace. So after, after playing with it for copies of it, what, what's your opinion on that take that it might, like some people think it might be banned within the year? I don't know if it will get banned that quickly, but I do think it's a little bit too good for modern in terms of what it does. And I think a big part of that is the fact that it creates like really uninteresting games after it comes down in the sense that like some decks are just hopeless against it. Like if you're not playing, like I played against a bunch of like Bant decks and like just like if you're if you fall behind on board and your opponent plays a Jace, I would go like Tarmogoyf into Jace and they would just have no chance. And I think that creates like a lot of feel bad and a lot of uh like universal application for for the card where like if people start building their J stacks well and I think people are just building them really badly in general, but once people start building their J stacks well, people are just gonna lose on turn four so often and they're just gonna feel really bad about it and it's gonna it's gonna lead to people not wanting it. Mm. Turn four kill. Kills people on turn four. <laughs> Um, we, had, we had a question uh, in chat for you, Edgar. Do you think Jund is a real thing or it's being overhyped? I don't know if you managed to play against any Jund uh, locally. Yeah, I actually played against Jund across the two tournaments like five or six times. What? Wow, yeah. people were really hyped about it. People, people were excited to jam Bloodbraid off. And it was actually more impressive to me than I thought it would be initially. Like, I played against Matthew Dilks, who was playing Jund. And I know he was pretty low on it at first, but like after he played an event with it, he was pretty happy with it. And Bloodbraid Elf lets you win your bad matchups like much more easily because you can just turn the corner so quick against like a Tron deck, where like the Bug deck might not be able to do that. Um, so I don't think it's overhyped at all. I think Bloodbraid is going to do good things to that archetype, but I think that there's also a lot of uh, like people are just playing the deck that they know how to build well, and like it's pretty easy to build the Jun deck. Like it slots in. Like there's there's old lists, and it's easy to emulate that. Where with Jace, uh, it's not as clear cut like how people should be building their deck. Mm. Right. Derek, are you gonna jam any tr- run hunting trophies for for this format? Um, like, maybe. Uh, I thought the Bloodbraid decks were awful, but they're actually a lot of fun. And uh, I played one this weekend, and every time I bloodbraided, it was really bad. I always just hit Thoughtseize on turn ten, but uh, I still think. <laughs> that like playing Thoughtseize and Goyf is still where it's at, and I don't want to play Jace because I hate playing uh, broken cards. So, yeah, I, th- I think I might, I might play a couple Jund, Jund decks on Moto. Like, do you think it's actually too powerful, or do you think just people will feel that it's good enough, but people will just hate losing to it? Um, I think that the card is perfectly fine. Uh, the reason why I keep saying that it's going to get banned is because every other card that's been banned in Modern in the past couple years, well, not every card, but most cards like Twin, Pod, um, even Ataxian Pro, with, like Wizards has given the reason people don't like playing against these cards or they win the game when they resolve and there's no interaction. It pushes a lot of decks out of the format. And like Edgar said, I, I feel like there's maybe 20 to 30% of the decks in Magic right now that are people are bringing to tournaments that just can't beat a Jace on turn four, um, especially after a Thoughtseize. So I just don't understand how Wizards can give these reasonings 
and then unban Jace the Mind Sculptor. Doesn't make sense to me, but maybe I'm just not Galaxy Brain right now. You know, that's just where I'm at. <laughs> um, what were your thoughts on Storm and like turn three try and stuff like that, Derek? Like, are those are those okay for you? Uh, like Tron's Tron, like Tron has a fail rate. Um, I feel like I don't know. I I, I feel like if you ban Jace again, you might have to ban Tron. Storm's Storm's really bad. Storm's a bad deck. Uh, Tron is fine. <laughs> we'll see. You think? Well, I think. I, I don't know. I don't think Storm's fail rate is that high though. If it's but, like but not, the, the deck's just like really. It's just not very good. I think the fail rate is pretty high. I've seen okay. a lot of people play Storm that say they're good at Storm and they just can't. They just don't know what to do. Nothing happens. They cast a <laughs> goblin and it dies and they're like, oh, I can't win now. And like, oh, I don't play a bad deck, I guess. Everyone I play against, they, they consistently kill me. Like, the turn I expect them to kill me. <laughs> you might be more unlucky than I am. I don't know. It's like bringing Amulet to a tournament. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe your opponent just doesn't know what's going on and you just Amulet them. I mean, is that archetype still possible? Without, uh... Uh, I don't know, like, I'm pretty sure Amulet, like, you just, like, you just play a Primeval Titan and it never gets countered, and then you win. And then somehow you, like, X3 a GP. But I, I've never done it's that. It's hard to counter a... X3 to Grand Prix. It's hard to counter a creature when it's being cast with Cavern of Souls, I hear. Sorry, Cavern of what? Just saying, I don't know. Facts. They can matter. You, can you Cavern of Souls a Jace? <laughs> yes. You can use Cavern of Souls to cast Jace. Wow. <laughs> Broken. Uh, so, I'm checking the results here for the, the latest uh, Modern Challenge. Uh, the only 8-0 is Black Red Hollow one. So, uh, and with a, uh, there's a Jun with four Blood Braid, or maybe two of them with uh, four Blood Braid Elves. Elves, uh, yeah, there's eight of them in the top eight. So, um, this Black Red Hollow one still still making the rounds here. Um, not seeing team or shift here. Uh, Andy, are you going to help make it an appearance in, in these top eight lists? I don't know about that. I don't play a lot of modern challenges. But uh, <laughs> I think uh, Rodrigo Torres has been playing the deck a lot. And I think uh, he has a really good list, so I would follow what he's doing. I think he's five has a couple five O's posted already. And someone else has some five O's posted too. But uh hopefully I can help it. I I'm certainly not trying to not help it. What's its what's his player name? Is it just uh, his name? Is it R Torres? I have no no clue. <laughs> That's why we'll we'll try to find it later. Um but we're I'm gonna look forward to to seeing uh what Derek crushes and, and wins more trophy with. <laughs> um, on to the next topic, and I'm going to pick Shaheen's uh, Twitter. Uh, he had, when we had John and we had Final Nub on that episode uh, with Andy and Alex as well, we had mentioned how um, John and Alex liked the new GP format because it allowed them to go out with their friends on Saturday night, even though like the Sunday night might be more grueling if you're still in the tournament. You got to eat, you got to hang out. And Shaheen posted, got lucky with a late flight, but this extra round day two has made flying late driving pretty miserable. 
Is this a popular change? Us old folks with jobs are taking a hit for sure. And then the poll has 74%. Nine rounds day one plays. 26%. Seven round day twos are great. And um, Pat Cox, the vast majority of GP attendees have jobs they need to get to Monday morning. I really don't get this changed. Jarvis Hugh, I prefer nine round day ones 100% because of that. Um, and, well, John Stern actually tweeted, eight round day ones are great. Six round day twos are great. X2 should always top eight. How do we make this happen? Um, Rob, as someone who has a job, what, what is your take on this? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I already didn't like the time I was, I was leaving, uh, driving home from an event when day ones were nine rounds. And now that, that day twos are seven, you know, plus top eight if you're lucky. Uh, it's even worse. Now, that being said, like, the events are being run better than they were in the past. Like, before the problem with day one was, like, it would end at 11.30, right? It's like, or or 10.30. It's way too late. But now day one's ending at, like, 6 p.m. So, uh, you just don't have the problem that you had, I guess, before. And it's probably because, like, Channel Fireball is just running all the events, so they're getting good at it. They, They understand, like, how to run a smooth event now they have a lot of practice they have the same team doing the same job you know more or less like every time they go to an event it's just running more efficiently so like i just don't think you need to chop out uh a day in day one like i think people would also be fine with it ending at 7 p.m and if you like look at what our benchmark is of like whatever 10 30 or 11 30 that it was uh not even like a year or two ago then uh, people would have probably even been happy if you just ended at 9 o'clock <laughs> just so you could make sure to go out and get something to eat before having to go to sleep. But I know like many times we've been to GPs and day one ended so late that we're like stuck going to like some stupid chain and it's just like garbage, right? And then you're like <laughs> getting home at 12.30 and you need to wake up at, at 7 or something like that. But, you know, everyone's still kind of like ramped up and then you're rooming with Derek and you don't shut up. So... You, know, you don't get to sleep until two o'clock. Anyways, I digress. But that has never <laughs> happened. I've also, top eight like fifty percent of the Grand Prix I go to you with. Derek's <laughs> my lucky charm, I guess. Maybe I should complain less. Yeah, you gotta find like your only hope is like <laughs> a late night, sketchy looking Chinese restaurant that's still open late for some. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you just like you just like beg Kelsey's to like let you in at eleven o'clock or something. It's just stupid. But yeah, I don't know. I, th- I feel like ending at seven p.m. would be fine. Um, so you think with, with things rolling more smoothly, they could just go back to the nine round thing and it would still end early enough. Yeah. And I think like the average player that goes to a GP that was really happy about the X three, I get into day two stuff that was going on. I think they're probably going to be more pleased because like the X two cutoff at, at six and two is still pretty tough for a lot of people to, to make it. So Andy, any, any strong opinions on this? So I, I'm a little bit torn torn on this because I do like the six two cutoff as like the middle ground between seven two and six three, but at the same time, the extra hour on the day that you're going home is a pretty important like extra hour or so, and it can really affect like the the quality of life of you trying to get back back to your home. But um, <laughs> I do agree. Like it was such crap getting out at like 10 p.m on saturday and like i remember you always go and you're like all right there's the six sick barbecue place it's 18 blocks this way we're gonna drive we're gonna have a blast and then you get out of there and you just go to a convenience store you get a snickers and you go to bed 
because it's just too late. So I think this is the lesser of the two evils, but with <laughs> both days running smoother, I think it's not actually that much worse than like the the day two. I don't think you're out that much later if it's running as smoothly as day one is compared to the old the old tournaments. So I don't think you're actually leaving that much later, but I wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, you, you could be out at like two o'clock or something, right? What would you do all day? I, I would go home. I, I would go home. I, I would have dinner with my family and I'd have a good night's sleep. So much free time. Not playing magic. What are you going I mean, to do? You could also just like go see the city or something, right? That, that's an option. Yuck. <laughs> Depends where you are. Uh, Edgar, do you prefer the new change or not? Or it doesn't matter to you? Uh, for me, I prefer it, but like, I think it's pretty selfish as like competitive magic players to think that like when these Twitter polls happen and like the the two hundred people voting on Pat Cox's poll, like there's a lot of there's a lot of bias there because it's the type of people who are going to be following Pat Cox, and sometimes we forget that like the majority of people attending this tournament are slugging out nine rounds on day one, and if 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 you haven't played a nine round tournament in a while, like you you forget how grueling that is. Like if you go to a Star City Open or something, and like for the majority of people, that one extra hour is like it really it really helps them on on the on the first day. And like if I get home on Sunday like at two a.m. instead of two thirty a.m. or the other way around, rather, like it's not going to make a difference to me. Like uh, it's it's all the same. All right. Lastly, Derek. I just think it's so ridiculous that this was even brought up. Like, like Edgar said, like nine rounds is so long. And the fact that like you can eat anyways, and like, what's an extra hour? Like day two starts at nine, you seven hours, maybe even eight hours. You end at like five. If you're flying, you can definitely get a flight home from six to 12 PM or 12 AM. And like, if you have a job on Monday, just like, books a day off or tell your work that you're just not going to come in. Like if you're, if you have a reasonable job, I'm sure your employer will just be like, yeah, okay. Or maybe just don't go to 30 grand prix a year that you book all your days off and waste your Mondays so that you're tired at work the next day. It just doesn't make logical sense that this is wizard's fault and not you just poor planning. Like so, maybe so you're basically what you're saying is this. like, if you have a real job with real demands, you should just like not play magic. When we went to GP New Jersey... That's your argument. Your argument is like, dude, like, just take holidays. Like, just burn your holidays playing GPs. What? No, I have but like, better it, to do with life. Like, it doesn't make so sense. You How is it a complaint? That's <laughs> a stupid <laughs> argument. That's just such What's a stupid argument? argument. What's so wrong about it? You're, you're, okay, so your argument is that, like, people can't show that they would prefer things one way or another because you don't care to prefer things one way or another. But, like, I think that given that this is how things were before, it's very reasonable for the people that travel to these things very often to say, hey, we kind of liked it better before, FYI, just in case you want to change it back, I kind of like that. It's not like everyone's like, I'm boycotting tournaments until they change it back. No one said that. It's just presented in such a poor way. He literally says, us old folks with jobs are just taking a hit for sure. It's true, though. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. Whatever. Like, say it. Like, I have a job and maybe I can't come in on Monday. Instead of like, I sold If you had a job, you'd understand that that's not realistic. But it's, 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 (sighs) it's as if he's saying that people who are okay with this just like aren't taking a hit because they're not old or they don't have a job. 
It's just like a ridiculous statement, right? No, if you don't have a job and you have nowhere to be on Monday morning, you literally don't care what time you come home. If I had a job and I was going to a Grand Prix, I would make sure to set apart time so that it wouldn't influence my week. <laughs> sure. I mean, but those people are just going to stop going to Grand Prix, right? Because like, I'm not wasting a vacation day because like, I got home at 3 o'clock. I just like not go to the GP, which is what I do now. Right. So like, why... Why is this a problem in the first place? Like, what what does an hour make? It's like if you top eight, sure, you know, like get a different flight, you made an extra five thousand dollars. But like, what? Why would you choose to go to a Grand Prix if you know it's just going to be a bit later? Because the like when you're driving like six to seven hours, the the last hour and a half matter. Sheen's not driving. Like I understand when we went to Jersey. Yeah, like, you don't know if Pat Cox is not driving or whatever. Like some of these guys are driving. I'm definitely driving. Right, but like, I know that you're definitely not driving, so you don't really understand the couple. What I'm saying there. is, when you drove to Jersey, like last year, the one you top aided, it was an eight to nine hour drive after you top aided, and we got home at like three thirty. But like, yes, you were and we're all that. very lucky to be alive because I had the flu. Right, but like, what I'm saying is, you were trying to reach silver. If these guys are taking the time of their like life to do this, don't they realize that there are like sacrifices that have to be made? And like the actual difference is maybe an hour, hour and a half. Yeah, but Derek, there's no there's no sacrifice that has to be made because like if day one ended an hour later, it wouldn't affect anyone. And if day two ended an hour earlier, everyone that needed to be somewhere the next day would just be able to get there an hour earlier. So like why 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 do you care that Day one ends at six instead of seven if it doesn't affect you. That, that's because what I'm confused about. The difference between like nine hour days and seven, like nine to eight hour days is larger than the difference between six and seven hour days. And I'm saying it's much better to, it's easier to adjust on day one than it is on day two. You, yeah, but you're only playing seven hours at a GP before on day one. No, I. How often? Yeah. I like maybe twice in <laughs> ever past- since you started day twoing, you've only played seven rounds, so Okay, well that's not the point. Okay. These players also have only played seven rounds day one. So They're playing eight. Anyways. What whatever. It's just, it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> so now you get to play ten rounds if you if you go to the finals. Instead of nine. Sorry, I've never, I've never top beat at a Grand Prix. Can't relate. Well, like, let me tell you. After nine rounds, your brain's definitely mushy. After ten, it's quite mushy. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's where that Paul Dean story came from last week or the week before. <laughs> it was an eleven round PTQ or whatever. Yeah, I, I just don't get how people can't plan better. I don't get how this is a problem. It doesn't make sense. I understand that you don't understand. That makes sense to me. <laughs> this is uh, going off the rails, but I loved every second of it. Uh, Rob, do you have do you have any issue with? Uh, I think we we talked about this topic before, but with people like finishing X two and not having a chance to make top eight, you you know you're fine with that or. Because I, I know, like, there, there has been talk on and off again about, like, splitting the tournaments, making them smaller or whatever. But I don't think that 
in my eyes, that's something that these tournament organizers want to do because they want to have like the big open main event that anyone can join if they want to, and they want to hype up the main event as much as possible. So I don't see a world where they that would happen. I, I, me personally, I just think day one tiebreakers carrying into day two are stupid. Like okay. I, I just feel like you should just fre- if you freshen it up that way, like people get a little bit lucky on day one, but there's like enough luck anyways in the way that you get paired and the way that your your matchups went and like matchup roulette or whatever. That like I don't think it really matters if you play it against people who happen to do a little bit better on day one and then ended up doing better on day two or whatever at the end of the tournament. But I feel like that shouldn't affect things. I think that that would probably solve that problem. Then, like, if you play against players who end up doing well on day two, where, like, the competition is higher, then, you know, that's where your tiebreakers matter. And, like, you shouldn't get pulled down because, like, you played against some guy in round two that ended up going, like, 06, <laughs> dropped afterwards or whatever. Like, it's just not... <laughs> I don't know why that is, a, a you know, kind of affecting your likelihood to top eight. Edgar, Edgar thinks the system's fine. But he also, like, I guess you didn't finish on tie breaks when you finished 12th, right, Edgar? No, no, I was, I was X and 3. But uh, I squeaked in at 8th on tiebreakers on my first top 8, which was, was by, like, the smallest margin, too. Uh, I, I think the system is, like, is fine. I think if they reset tiebreakers, it'd be okay. But, like, I, I'm not, like, super against the way it is right now. Like, you're still rewarding the players who, like, somewhat did better on average, right? If, if you lose later in the tournament, you're more likely to make top 8. So, like, I don't really think it's that big of a deal and derek have you ever uh almost had a virtual top eight the only event i've ever x3'd i uh went into day two at six three and so if, if we didn't have tie breaks for day two i definitely would have been like top 16 but i came 21st so like i don't know it's it's sort of annoying that they exist, but like they exist for a reason, I guess. <laughs> I, I've never top aided, so I can't complain. You know, never have to worry about driving home late because I've never top aided. Not it. Not oh, a man, you beat me to my you beat me to my own comment. <laughs> if they, if they have a Ramoto Grand Prix, like maybe I'll be in the top eight. But until then, eh, we're not we're not going anywhere. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's let's wrap up a bit. Uh, Edgar with the Toronto Open Plus. Are you going uh, this Saturday? Are you going to be competing in that? Uh, no. Me, Matthew Dilks, and uh, a couple other locals are actually going to the SCQ Open this weekend. Ooh. Yeah. Well, is that is that going to be modern as well? No, it's going to be Legacy. Ooh, okay. Dilks the legend. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be. I'm going to be expecting a strong performance from him. Um, but any advice for people going down to the Toronto Open Plus this Saturday? Which modern deck uh, would you recommend them taking? Uh, would, could they just take the list that you tweeted out, maybe with a few adjustments? Or what do you what do you think our listeners could consider? Yeah, I think the list I played is pretty good. Um, there's nothing I would really change. My only advice is that if you're going to play Jace, don't like. Don't try to shoehorn it into a deck that can't play to the board before turn four because you're, it's just going to die. It's just not going to be good enough. You, you either need to be playing Jace before turn four or be playing to the board before turn four and then play your Jace. Hmm. All right, that, that's some sweet advice. And anything? Are Are you a big Legacy guy? Uh, yeah, I, I play. I play a good amount of Legacy. Uh, we we have a we have a pretty good scene around here, and I've been playing it for a while, so. Do you have like a deck that that you're really known for for bringing, or is there a few options you're considering? 
Uh, I used to play a lot of Sneak and Show, but uh, for the past couple years, because of Deathrite's prominence, I've been playing a lot of four color control. So like a four coal against command, Leovold, Baleful Strix deck. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be grinding some people this weekend, hopefully. <laughs> well, good luck to you. Where is it at again? I missed. It's in uh, it's in Boston, Boston Wooster. Oh, Boston SCG Wooster. Right, that's going to be pretty sweet. Um, look forward to seeing the legacy results. Shoutouts to Matthew Dilks. Um, Edgar, where can people reach you if they want to ask you questions or uh, about anything, any advice? Uh, yeah, you can find me at, on Twitter at uh, EdgarMTG, or you can add me on Facebook. If you search Edgar, you should be able to find me. There's not a lot of, lot of us going around. And, uh, I'm always happy to answer any questions. So, What's that, what's that look you have there, Nick? We can add Edgar on Facebook. I've really always just wanted to be friends with Edgar. <laughs> All righty. Edgar, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Jace and sharing your thoughts about the GP structures and stuff. And hopefully you, you crush it and we'll have you on another time. That'd be awesome. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Edgar. Yeah, that was uh, Edgar the Gentleman. Three-time GP top eighter. And Derek's friend, I think. <laughs> God, I hope so. I hope we're friends. All right. Um, I don't know. Any, anything else that, that you might have in mind, Derek? Uh, like for the open or like what? It- in general, in general, with what's happening, like is there Masters 25, was there anything that? Uh- oh, I really like the, the watermarks they have in the text box. As a, as a very casual player, that really speaks to me, you know? It really adds something extra to the card that I wouldn't normally get. Uh, I like that they're reprinting Jace. Uh, that way I probably can still just never afford any um, because they're just way too expensive. I'll just stick to playing Blood Raid Elves. Um, the RPTQ is coming up in a month, in a, like four or five weeks, which is sealed, which is the next thing on my radar. Um, hopefully I just get to open a bunch of Tetsamox because that's all this format is. And yeah, that's about everything. Uh, I'm probably not playing the open. I haven't decided yet. I'm trying to queue for the the team RPTQ, the team to queue for the team PT. So we're trying to grind pre TQs. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I wonder if uh, this set will do better than iconic with Jace Imperial Recruiter. People were hyped about that today. So. And other stuff that have already been spoiled, like Chalice and stuff like that. Uh, very curious to see if there will be more hype. It was funny to have my friend Dave Lee and even Alex Bianchi say that, oh, oh God, they printed me and tweet out like a, a picture of Imperial Recruiter. <laughs> so shout out to those guys. Um, right, I, think, I think that does it for us. Uh, any big events for you, Andy? Uh, nothing that I can uh, that I can think of in the near future, as far as I know. So, just gonna keep jamming some standard and modern. Hope to learn some more about those formats. All right. What about you, Rob? Just gonna keep tweaking the. Uh, yeah, I'll probably I'll take it through another league. Uh, see if I uh, can't misplay myself out of not having a five zero. If I if I do if I do manage to get there, I'll post it. Otherwise, the deck will be dead to me, and I'll move on. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I might play a limited PTQ online this week. I think there's one on Sunday, and I will also try to practice opening Tetsamox in anticipation for the RPTQ at the end of March. So, 
Okay. Uh, it's a skill that I do not have and need to brush up on. <laughs> All right. Shout-outs to our first strike producers, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Jay Thomas, Eden, Sasha, Papo, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Murchison, and my secret admirer, who had emailed me back. He or she had emailed me back last week. Still have no idea who they are, but... Uh, Glad that they pinged me back. Uh, Shouts to all of First Strike Nation. Uh, if you want to join, go to patreon.com slash first strike to learn about all the information to become a, a monthly member or a yearly member where you get access to all deck lists from, from Rob, Brian, Andy, or whatever Derek is grinding in the MTGO queues, uh, as well as Alex Bianchi as well. So lots of resources in there, and it's cool to have people in we we had or i had posted our first um batch of designs i got from my designer who uh admittedly is a little too i guess mixed martial arts influence <laughs> than than i was hoping with a lot of uh strong designs and hopefully we're going to go back to the drawing board and get some more uh as i would tell rob and brian old man designs like this man just this should be yeah <laughs> Right, well, go, let's do it. <laughs> hey, that's what, that's what I'm saying. We're, we're gonna we're gonna work on the, work out the kinks, um, but definitely shout out to Sergio who would basically wear anything that has first strike on it. Those and, designs were like MMA cross between like surfer cross between snowboarder cross between. I thought some of them were psychedelic good. or something. I don't know. If they, were they were they were insane. They were insane. Some perfectly good shirts ruined by tie dye. <laughs> they they really like they really like the tie dye design, and I'm just like I can I tell. Think, I think my listeners just want simple black, simple black, and just logo. So we're gonna go with that. We're gonna have um, some V neck options, some polo options. Hopefully, is what what I'm looking into, uh, especially for Rob, because obviously I need Rob to rep as well. And, uh, yeah, if you like uh, our episode, you want to support us, give this a su- thumbs up, subscribe, join our nation. Lots of ways. Post this episode on Facebook, on Twitter, on Reddit, wherever uh, you want to. And that would help us a great deal. And I just want to mention, once again, if you're in Toronto or close to Toronto, to check out the Open Plus face-to-face games com Toronto Open Plus, go to ffseries.facefacegames.com to learn about the entire tournament series that spans across Canada. We have Open Pluses, we got Opens, we got Classics, and there's a venue change for this Saturday in Toronto. So if you were already registered for the event, please double check uh, the venue. And uh, I think I think that's all for us tonight. So thank you, everyone in chat, uh, for giving us your thoughts for for watching and. Uh, We'll see you next week for uh, Andy, Derek, and Rob, and Keith Capstick in the chat, and William Blinden for winning the PPTQ so that I could be on his team for the RPTQ. Shout out to everyone. Love you guys. And Cody Gravel, who, Gravel, who uh, got Edgar the Gentleman with us. So lots of love, lots of shout outs, and we'll see you next Monday. I can't stop talking because I keep seeing Derek with his like crazy face. And it's like as if the show isn't over yet. I just, like just ban him. Just like just like, this idiot. I'm just talking. He's always like, <laughs> "What's going on?" So, talk to everyone next time, and hope you enjoyed the the Derek and Rob fight. Bye, guys. Thank you.